probably about one year into blogging, you know, I was looking at kind of my search terms and my search stats. And one of the search terms was, I want to kill myself because of debt. And I just, my heart stopped and I was like, oh, and that was just so heart-wrenching for me. And so, you know, I felt like I wanted to reach whoever that was. You know, I don't know if they would ever come back to my blog, but I was like, I have to write to this person. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane. And I'm Garrett Philbin. We want to give you a space to explore your relationship with money, the guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear. No topic is taboo. In this episode, we chat with Melanie Locker, the founder of Dear Debt, a blog that aims to help those remove the stigma around mental health and debt. She's also the co-founder of the Lola Retreat, which helps bold women face their fears, own their dreams, and figure out a plan to be in control of their finances. We chat about her history with mental illness, what sparked her desire to help those feeling suicidal over their debt, and how money can be the most important yet useless thing in the world. If you've hung out with us for a while, you know that we spend money on anything that enhances our lives. And books are one of those things. Yes, books can add up, but we're going to let you in on a little secret. You can get two audiobooks for free just by signing up for a free trial of Audible. You get a free 30-day trial, which you can cancel at any time and still keep those two free audiobooks. And if you do stay on, you'll only end up paying $15 a month, which includes one audiobook and 30% off any additional ones. To start your free trial and to nab those two free audiobooks, head on over to www.beyondthedollar.co backslash audible. That's www.beyondthedollar.co backslash A-U-D-I-B-L-E. And to check out resources we shared in this episode, including a guide to using your values to drive your financial decisions, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co. All right, everyone, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. Melanie, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. We are so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and I'm really excited to get into a conversation around money and in the intersection of money and mental health. And yes. Just to start, I'd love to have you share kind of what led you to start Dear Debt and how you came to be so comfortable with talking about money and mental health and mental illness. Totally. So actually, you know, the whole money and mental health issue is very much in line with kind of the origin story of Dear Debt. So we can go back in time a little bit. You know, it's 2012. I'm living in Portland, Oregon with my then partner. I'm making 10 to $12 an hour doing temp jobs only. I have a master's degree from NYU and I'm on food stamps for a brief period of time while I get acclimated in Portland. And Suffice it to say that was not kind of the life I had dreamed of after graduating with my master's degree from NYU. And I felt so depressed and so ashamed because I went to this fancy private school that I thought, you know, would buy me success and buy me a reputation and buy me job interviews and that I would find a job to pay it all back easily. And I didn't. And, you know, I really kind of had my net worth related to my self-worth. And so, you know, I owed so much money at that point. I had probably around 60K in debt left still after I had already paid debt for five or six years by that point. And I just felt 
like I was stuck. You know, I felt like, how am I ever going to get out of this debt? I'm in these dead end temp jobs. I don't even have any stability. Uh, I never thought I'd be on food stamps. And it was a, a big wake up call. And I was, you know, for that whole year of 2012, I was just hot mess status. I was <laughs> crying every day. You know, I was in counseling briefly. I negotiated a session with a local graduate school to get a really affordable counseling sessions at $5 a session. And, you know, it was really helpful, but still I was just kind of stuck. And, you know, it came to a point where my then boyfriend was kind of sick of me. My parents were sick of me. I was sick of me. You know, you get to this point where you're just like playing this broken record again and again and again. You're like, I'm sick of hearing that song. Like, play a new song. And so I was like, I have to do something with this energy because it's really consuming my life. And so, you know, probably November of 2012, I kind of found myself on the internet, like many people do, like how to get out of debt, debt blogs. You know, I kind of found personal finance and I thought, wow, there's this whole world of personal finance blogs out there. And it really motivated me. But on one hand, you know, while it was motivating, I felt like I didn't hear my story in these blogs. You know, I didn't have a bunch of credit card debt. You know, I wasn't making six figures and I could pay it off in like five months, you know. I went to school and had all the student loan debt and, you know, had no kind of viable options to make a great income at that time. And so I thought there needs to be a space for people like me who didn't necessarily mess up everything with their finances, who aren't making six figures, but just kind of more normal people trying to get out of debt. And so I started Dear Debt in January 2013 and really kind of accounted for my debt repayment process. I used to post monthly updates every, you know, first of the month and my readers really inspired me to keep going. And really the concept around Dear Debt is to break up with debt. So Dear Debt is kind of like a Dear John letter. So we have tons of Dear Debt letters on the site, you know, which are breakup letters, both, you know, from me and from other people. And I really have focused on creating a space where we talk about the emotions around money and debt repayment. Because for me, they were inextricably linked and no one was really talking about it at the time. Well, we're called Beyond the Dollar. So we are big fans of getting just beyond the numbers yes. or beyond just the numbers, I should say, and really getting into the emotional and behavioral side of money. And the mental health part as well is really interesting. The, there's a recent post that you wrote that really dives into Kind of what the last year, I think you said so 2017 was really kind of one of the hardest years for you and what the struggles were like, your experiences in that. And so money and mental health isn't necessarily something I've heard a lot about or read much on. And it's something that I would say there isn't that much of in the space. So what led your debt to being that place where people could come to and have that conversation? Yeah. So it's been, you know, kind of a wild journey. You know, I have personally suffered from depression and anxiety on and off pretty much since I was a teenager. And the kind of depression around debt was a little bit different because before obviously it was for other reasons or for different amounts of time. But this one, you know, in 2012 was definitely related to my debt 100%. And so, you know, like I said, in the personal finance space, no one was really talking about how debt makes you feel. And I know it sounds all woo-woo and touchy-feely, but it's like, when you're so depressed and so anxious, you can't move, you can't breathe. You know, I was just so stuck in this place of like, I don't even know what to do because I'm paralyzed by my emotions. 
And so, you know, slowly with the blog, I started to kind of talk about everything that I was feeling that I was, I hit a really, you know, big low point. I was very anxious about my debt. I was filled with shame and guilt. And of course, kind of me opening up to that led others to opening up to that as well and saying, yes, I felt the same way. Like, I'm glad I'm not the only one. And then probably about one year into blogging, you know, I was looking at kind of my search terms and my search stats. And one of the search terms was, I want to kill myself because of debt. And I just, my heart stopped. And I was like, oh, like, I mean, I had obviously been really depressed before, but I had never thought about that. And I mean, I've had suicidal ideations in the past, to be fair, but not around that. And that was just so heart-wrenching for me. And so, you know, I felt like I wanted to reach whoever that was. You know, I don't know if they would ever come back to my blog, but I was like, I have to write to this person. And so immediately I wrote a post saying, you know, I found the search term, whoever this is, it's not worth it. Debt is not a death sentence. You are not alone. You are not alone. And, you know, really kind of telling people that this is not the answer. And so, you know, it really struck me because suicide is very personal for me. My grandfather on my mom's side committed suicide or, or died by suicide is the right term to say, died by suicide um, when my mom was five. And there's been suicide in my family, a lot of mental health issues in my family. So it felt very personal. And also, you know, me wanting to help random people that are coming to my blog because when I think of someone Googling, I want to kill myself because of debt, that's a cry for help. You know, that's, that's a cry for help because they're not going to do it right now. They're, they're looking on the random interweb. So I'm like, how can I provide something where there's that little space of I'm looking and I'm doing, and this can be the stop sign of no, don't do it, you know? And since 2014, I've been getting emails from people almost weekly who are on the brink of suicide, who are super depressed, who are feeling just so entirely low and consumed with their student loan debt or their credit card debt. And so I've really tried to be a supportive space for that. And then as of 2016, I organized a suicide prevention blog tour. And over the past three years, I've gotten all my personal finance friends to kind of write about this very topic that debt is not a death sentence and that there is hope out there. The debt should never be a reason for you to end your life. You know, I'm not advocating for bankruptcy or, you know, going on an income driven plan or going on all these things, but those are better options than, than ending your life, you know? And so it's really just been a topic that I was kind of naturally open to, and then it evolved into something completely different. And I think because I've done that blog tour and because I've written about it so openly, people kind of think of me, oh, Melanie's, you know, mental health and money. And I'm happy to be that person. And I'm looking for ways to increase kind of personality and, and that resource. I was going to ask if like, you had readers or people who found your site through Googling, then sharing their own stories with you. Have you found, you mentioned you're connecting with other bloggers or other people in the personal finance space. Like, have you found on their level too, that people had kind of wanted to write about that or f had the similar issues, but hadn't necessarily felt comfortable doing it. And so you kind of provided them a space as well. 
Yeah, it's been really interesting. So I've had a lot of different reactions with other bloggers. So some people say, wow, this is such an important topic. No one's writing about it. I'm glad that this is a great time and place to do that. The blog tour takes place in September doing Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. I had some people email me privately and say, you know, I realized my neighbor died by suicide about a year ago and I heard it was from finances. I've heard from people who said, you know, my brother died by suicide and you know, I'm so glad that you're talking about this. And just, you know, people, it's amazing what people will tell you when you bring such a taboo topic that no one is open about because you're unleashing the floodgates for people to share their experience and they have no other safe space to do so. And so both from bloggers and from strangers alike, I get very raw and intimate emails. And, you know, I feel very protective over that. And I feel a responsibility to respond in kind and to be helpful and to be a resource. Do you feel like those Dear Debt Letters, ones that you write, and the ones that other really want to publicly share on the site, do you feel like it's been cathartic for both the writers and the people who read them? I definitely think so. You know, I know for me personally, writing the Dear Debt Letters, it was very transformative for me because I was able to kind of write all these different kind of letters that, you know, Dear debt, how am I going to live without you? Dear debt, I can't stand you. You know, dear debt, you've ruined my life or, you know, whatever kind of feelings I wanted to get out there. And so it was very cathartic for me to kind of personify debt in this way and then really kind of get all of my emotions out. And then from what I've heard from other people, they've said it's a very cathartic experience to write to their debt. And, you know, some people say it was kind of their motivation to continue and to get started and you know, we've had some really funny ones on the website and we've had some completely heart-wrenching ones on the website too. And we've had a complete range of every kind of emotion, which I think is great. And I think it just goes to show you that there's no one size fits all relations to debt, like relationship to debt, that, you know, there's a ton of different ways that people kind of deal with debt. Some people are grateful for it because it, you know, helped them go to college and, you know, help them buy a house. And then some people have just been completely sideswiped by it and feel destabilized from it. And so, you know, I think the letters have been a, a great point for everyone. The post I referenced in the beginning that you written how 2017 was a really, really challenging year for you. That's not necessarily a dear debt letter, but it was another way of you sharing kind of yes. not just a struggle, but like multiple struggles were. And it was really interesting. There are a lot of pieces in there about how you were navigating taking in less money and how to navigate that. Grateful that you had enough money to be able to pay for the services and the support that you needed, but then also the struggle with self-worth of knowing the personal finance world, there's always that like hit six figures and make yeah, all of the yeah. money and multiple revenue Just streams. more, more, and more. You're always making more money. This has been a journey for you, right? You started writing in 2012 and then 2014, you really started getting that feedback of when you were sharing more about mental health. So just how have you navigated even, you know, you're five or six years in, and yet this is still a challenge for you. So what is it like now, even with what you know in your experience, navigating them and then having them come back? Like, what has that been like? It's been super interesting. I mean, first of all, I think it's really important for people who have reached debt freedom to be honest about where they are in their life, because what initially inspired me to get out of debt was seeing all these personal finance bloggers who did it themselves. And so I think kind of seeing like, wow, they can do it. So can I. And so, you know, I paid off my debt in December, 2015. 
And so I've been debt-free for the past couple of years, but it's not been easy for me in a variety of different ways. You know, I moved from Portland, Oregon back to LA. I was dealing with some mental health issues, physical health issues. My partnership of nine years with my ex-boyfriend is now done. You know, a lot of things kind of went haywire in my personal life, my physical health and my mental health. And so I think there's this kind of vision that once you reach debt freedom, that you're done, you've made it, everything's going to get better. And, you know, you're going to make more and more and more money. And of course, that's like a great fantasy. And I wish that were the case, but that was not my story. And I've always been authentic with where I'm at with people And I don't want people to think that, oh, like Melanie's killing it and making six figures and doing well and whatever. Because I mean, yeah, people can see what I post on social media. Maybe some things look better than others. Like people always have an opinion about kind of what you're posting, but like, that's kind of like the marketing side. Like you still have to market yourself, you know, to like be a certain way. Like, you know, I'm the co-founder of Lola Retreat and I'm a blogger and an author. Like, look at me, you know, that's like the nice packagey thing that I have to like, you know, still partially have to sell myself in some ways. But, but I also, you know, I'm about being authentic. And so really I had to go back to, oh, these issues are here again. And that this is a constant work in progress. And that's kind of what I want to tell people is that debt freedom is a goal and definitely something that everyone should aspire to, but it's not the end goal. It's not a finish line. It's the beginning, if anything else. And so, you know, on one hand, I'm so grateful that I'm debt-free because all of the stuff that's happened in the past couple of years, it would have just been 10 times more stressful if I was still managing those monthly payments, which were insane. And, you know, to have that money to just throw at a problem, just be like, dealing with these physical health issues. I'm dealing with these mental health issues. I'm going to counseling. I'm doing all of this and really using money to manage my life and manage my health. That was really key. And then, you know, obviously I didn't love making 20% less last year and it might even be a little bit less this year. This also hasn't been such an easy year, but you know, it's really I think I'm in a better place. Like when I started my blog, you know, five years ago, I think I would have definitely, like I was already in a place where I felt so low because I made such little income. And, you know, now I'm in a place where, yes, my income has gone down, but I'm not going to internalize it like I probably would have in the past. Like in the past, I would have definitely been like, oh, you know, I suck or like, I I didn't do this right. Or like, I'm a fraud. And it's like, you know what? I know exactly why my income went down. I am self-employed and I'm a service-based business owner. You know, if I am not well, I cannot work. And if I cannot work, I don't get paid. And so, you know, it all had to do with each other. And I still made such a great income last year, even with 20% less. And then you know, the year before, like I never thought that I was even going to make this much money. I thought I was never going to get out of the nonprofit sector making more than 30K. So I'm still doing relatively well. And I have to remind myself of that because I I mean, I don't think you should compare yourself to anybody, but it's natural. Sometimes we do. And, you know, in personal finance, it's like everyone's like, doing their income reports, you know, I made 10,000, 12,000, 20,000, 30,000, 100,000. And it's like, my goodness, what am I doing wrong here? And then I just have to remind myself, but that is not my business. I am not a full-time writer. I mean, I am for the most part, but I'm also an event planner. I do women in money events and that takes a big 
portion of my life and that's something that I'm building. So in a way, I'm also kind of transitioning from writing all the time to also doing events. And that's a delicate balance and also a delicate transition because writing does pay my bills, but events are kind of where I want to pay my bills in the future. And so, you know, just being kind with myself and saying, this is a transitional period, both in my personal and professional life. And as long as I can pay my bills and pay my taxes and feed my cats and take care of myself, I'm going to be happy with that for now and always strive for better. I think what's interesting about the income reports and what you were referencing and comparing yourself to other people is you don't always know what those people's underlying motivations are, their passions, their values. And in just the numbers, you can't get an understanding of that. And like you said, you value your mental health. And so understanding that if you don't put time to be well, like you also won't have a business, like a 20% cut in your revenue and how much you're making could be, you know, that happened, or you could not have spent that money and then have your business just completely unravel if you weren't taking care of yourself mentally. True, true. And so I also think that, you know, there are people who make a lot of money whether in the personal finance space or otherwise, but they aren't actually satisfied or fulfilled or happy. So that the comparison trap, and we've had an episode on that, is a really dangerous space to be when you don't know what those people value, whether they are happy, if you're only seeing their marketing on Instagram versus what's actually going on in their lives. So that's just a really good point that you brought up. And I want to highlight where, yeah, the bringing it back, like the reduction in how much you're making is no reflection at all on your self-worth. It's actually, to me, a stronger reflection of you because you are clear on what's important to you and putting your money and times towards those things it is reflected in you making less money because you said, I just have to do this for me. And it's actually you honoring what you need versus what the other route would have been having the same income, but burning yourself out or worse. Totally. And yeah, I thought it was just really important to highlight that issue because I mean, I know for me personally, and I'm sure for other people, we kind of have this erroneous thought train that as we get older and more successful, we're just going to get more and more successful. Our income's going to go up and up and up. And then it's just like an upward trajectory forward. And that's where we're going. And really life is a bunch of zigzags, it's a bunch of peaks and valleys and plateaus. And, you know, I think we all need to honor that. And then, you know, when we are kind of in the backslide, the valleys that we don't have to beat ourselves up, that we have to realize that that is part of the story. And this like kind of upward trajectory that's just nonstop. That's, I don't know. I mean, that's what I thought. I don't know if everyone else thinks that, but like wherever that kind of notion came from, it's like, we need to obliterate that because we're just not going to just keep getting more successful and our income's not always going to constantly go up. And it's like, we need to honor that space where there's the peaks and the valleys and the transitions because that's real life. And we shouldn't have that affect our self-worth. Kind of like the stock market, right? It goes up over time, but like yes. there are highs and then there are lows and it'll go up a little bit. That's a great a metaphor. Lot. So Yes. Yes, it doesn't constantly go up. Totally. That's a great metaphor. Yes. I was gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna interject and in, in like this is very relevant. <laughs> Full disclosure, my son is with me in my room, distracting me, which is why I haven't spoken until but, now. And, and what an awesome thing to point out too, that like this is part of the life, yeah. right? Like when you work this from home. This is real life. This is real life. This is real and this life. Goes on. And so thanks, Sarah, for th throwing that out there. No problem. I, I was gonna say too, like 
you know, coming from the parenting perspective, sometimes you take days off because my son's sick or there are days when he's napping for two and a half hours and I do not feel guilty not waking up because I have a few things I need to finish, like full disclosure, right? And so it's just honoring exact moment where you're at, like you said, and just doing what you need to do. And income wise, yeah, like I, I do have some big income goals, but I also have to recognize that it's for an actual purpose. And if I don't make it, it doesn't define me who I am as a person as well. And I think, I don't know, like Instagram and Facebook, they're great. And again, Garrett and I have talked about this at length in another episode is that we can't look outside as a source of validation for our happiness and our well-being. It has to come from inside. And I think when we look at debt, when we look at income, when we look at you know money in general as outside factors of, of our worth as people, that's when it gets really dangerous. Because let's say your debt does have to go up. Like, you know, let's say you haven't worked in a year for whatever reason and you just keep racking up debt. Does that mean you're a less valuable human being than somebody else who's been working? No, I don't think so. Totally. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And, you know, kind of to that notion, you know, whenever you compare yourself, it's never apples to apples. So, you know, you talked about working from home and being a mom. I am not a mom. I am single. I don't have kids. And so people who compare their financial life to mine, like I don't have kids, but I also live in Los Angeles. I also don't have a car, which is crazy in Los Angeles, but I make it work. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, you can't compare someone's cost of living in Los Angeles and New York to somewhere maybe in the Midwest. You can't compare someone that's single and someone that has a kid or and married. Like there's just, it's never apples to apples with any given situation. Everyone's situation is so nuanced with where they live, what their job is, what their personal situation is that it's like, even if we wanted to go down that route and be like, I'm going to compare myself. It's like, but the metrics and the values aren't even saying in San Francisco, making a hundred grand is like minimum wage, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that blows my mind, but yes. <laughs> okay. Just speaking in, in terms of like feeling really upset and not feeling there's a way out, or you're just so consumed in whatever it is in the present moment. So, oh my gosh, this is something I haven't shared very publicly, but I had to go cold turkey with not breastfeeding my son anymore. And so that comes with a lot of challenges, i.e. hormonal challenges and, and other physical challenges. And so what ended up happening as a result was I actually couldn't go to work for a couple of days because I would just randomly burst into tears to the point where I, and I was a teacher, I couldn't actually speak. And so my boss very kindly was like, you need to go and see someone. Like something is obviously going on because you've always been very good at composing yourself no matter what's going on outside of work. And so I ended up having to see a mental health professional, which was very difficult in China. Like to those who've lived in China, like it's extremely difficult to find one. And so it was, it became that where like all consuming, I couldn't see like to the other side. And I think when you're so consumed in the moment with with whatever is going on, you can't even think about like, oh man, I just took a couple days off work. Do I need any more? Or man, like, is this going to affect my work performance? Like kind of all of those things. And so I'm wondering when, you know, you go through those moments and I'm talking about people who, who really do have, I don't want to say severe mental issues, but, but kind of ones where maybe Gary and I can not necessarily understand, like to, to go into those bouts of depression. Yeah. They're, they're strong. Mm-hmm. They're recurrent. Right. Like mm-hmm. what, I guess what, like, what were some of the thoughts you've had? Like, how did you, like when they're so consuming and how did you kind of, 
deal with him and, and maybe even come to through to the other side? Yeah, that's a really good question. And actually, I wrote another post recently after that already kind of morose, depressing one, but it was actually called Depression is a Liar. And it was also kind of highlighting some of the depressive episodes I've had this past year because like I said, 2018 was still kind of not a year. I'm still recalibrating and finding myself. And yeah, I think, you know, depression is a liar and that's kind of the best way that I can describe it. And, you know, depression has told me in the past that no one really likes me and that I'm worthless and that what I do isn't important. Why do I try? Nothing matters. And it just gets you into this really terrible headspace where nothing seems to matter anymore. You have zero self-esteem. And I wouldn't say like it's a paranoia, but it's like, just like, I'm convinced no one really likes me. Like I'm not talented. I just became a writer. Like I fell into this, but talent had nothing to do with it. You know, just like it messes with your brain and tells you lies. And so, you know, now that I've am out of that place, like I can look back and see, wow, that was a lie. And actually I was rereading my journal from like earlier this year when I was going through some of these depressing moments. And it was just shocking to see what I wrote in kind of like a more sober space, if that makes sense. And like one of the lines was like, I know my therapist doesn't like me and you know, da, 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 da. And I was just like, it like literally came out of nowhere. Like I was just convinced like she was sick of me too. And yeah, I just think, you know, now more than ever, it's really important to recognize that those are just thoughts and they come and go. And that I know, because like I said, I have been through several episodes of this, that in the moment, it seems very real. It seems like they will never end. It feels like your reality and it feels like your reality is closing in on you. But I've tried to learn to just deal with the discomfort and say, you know, this is temporary. I don't know how long this is going to last, but this is just an intense moment. And, you know, sometimes that might just mean, you know what, let's just go to bed early today or let's just go for a walk or let's just try to do something that makes myself feel good. Eventually I will get out of that space and I'll be like, you know what, I do feel better. And actually, you know, that was just a very intense moment and realizing that depression is a liar and those aren't your real thoughts. They have no basis in reality. And I've tried to, I mean, depression is not logical at all whatsoever, (laughs) but I try to kind of use a logical mind to combat it. So when I was having all these horrible thoughts and I was like, what evidence do I have? And I tried to think of like the evidence I have that nobody likes me. And I was like, I don't really have evidence for that. And I was like, well, what evidence do I have that I'm not talented and what I do doesn't matter? And then I was, couldn't really come up with much. And I was like, this helped me realize that I'm just making stuff up in my head. (laughs) And, uh, you know, sometimes it can be a chemical imbalance. Sometimes it can be situational. Sometimes it can be environmental. Sometimes it can be all of the above. And I think for me, it was all of the above. And you know, I got on the right medication. I continue to go to therapy. I've started a routine where I exercise and meditate and take care of myself. And for someone with recurrent and strong mental health issues, and I will claim that for myself, it's about managing it every day. Like, I don't think there's a cure. You know, even with medication, you're not curing it. You are managing it. And I think that's really important for everyone to realize because 
just because I'm on medication and in therapy doesn't mean I'm not going to have bad days. Doesn't mean I'm not going to ever have those really terrible thoughts again, but these help me manage it so they're less frequent and also so that they're less severe. And so that, you know, obviously through therapy and through certain exercises that I'm, I have the tools to be like, okay, I'm going to stop. This is a moment. I'm going to do something to make myself feel good and that this is temporary. And I think that's the biggest reminder that it's temporary and that depression is a liar, such a liar. So what you just said, do you, would that be what you wish people or the world knew about mental illness or anxiety in terms of debt and finances? In regards to debt and finances, what I want people to know, which I mean, is something that I know in my body and my soul, and which a lot of people in debt do, is that there is an inextricable link between debt and depression. And through my research, people that die by suicide are eight times more likely to have debt. That was um, focused in a Psychology Today article that I read, and I just surprised but not shocked by that statistic. And I think people need to realize that because people tend to think that suicide or depression is only for a certain kind of thing or a certain kind of person. And the interesting thing about debt and depression and, and debt and suicide is And this may be a little confusing gray area, but people who are suicidal and or depressed by debt may or may not have mental health issues, if that makes sense. The debt is what's triggering the actual depression. And if there wasn't any debt, there might not be depression. It's situational depression, meaning that, you know, if the debt wasn't there, a lot of these people might not be depressed. And then there's people like me who already do kind of have mental health issues before and after debt. And, you know, the debt certainly does not help, kind of exacerbates all of that. And so, you know, I think it's an important thing for us to realize because A, people that already have mental health issues, debt can exacerbate that. And B, for some people who might not be on the quote, like mental health spectrum where there might not be an issue, debt can still trigger that, that feeling. You know, like when you get really dizzy and you get really nauseous, It's like you can be nauseous because you're sick or you can get nauseous because you're spinning around like this fake kind of triggering reality, right? And that's kind of like what I feel like with debt and depression. I love that. And we will try our best to link to some of these articles and studies in the show notes if any of you are more interested in reading about that. So beyondthedollar.co. Side tangent, when you were talking about nauseous, I don't mean to make light of the issue, was I was thinking about pregnancy. That was like the first thing. And you're like spinning around. I'm like, pregnancy. Anyway, <laughs> you know, coming from all of this great discussion, by the way, is what would you say is the biggest lesson that you have learned about money? I would say, you know, kind of what I illustrated in that post that you guys were referencing, that money is everything and nothing at the same time. And I know that sounds overly simplistic, but I mean, you know, when you're going through grief and hard times, like money really is nothing. And if anyone, you know, has ever experienced a death or a divorce or a breakup or anything that really rocks your life to your core, you're just like, money doesn't matter. Like money's not going to get that person back or fix this or like whatever. It just seems so just like unimportant. Like this, this doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Like this person meant this thing, you know, this thing meant this thing, but money, no, that doesn't mean anything to me. But on the other hand, it can be a tool that can truly help you during those times. You know, it's like 
when you're dealing with the death of a loved one, you don't want to be stressed about how are you going to pay for the funeral, which is why life insurance is a great option for people. <laughs> you know, you don't, when you're dealing with a breakup, you don't want to have to deal with payments or having to severely, you know, adjust your lifestyle. I was lucky that I could still afford this apartment that I'm in. If I wasn't in this financial position, I very well would have had to move. And I know a lot of people dealing with breakups have to move. And that's another expense that's, that's adding to the stress of it. And so, you know, having money set aside so that you can just, like I said, throw money at the problem. Like, I'm still going to live here. I'm going to get the help I need. Like, I just think money is such a great tool to just throw it at a problem. Like money to me should be used to make your life easier or to make your life better is my opinion. Oh, love it. Last question. Yes. How are you using money? And I think you already answered this question, but let, let's just... Uh, I was yeah. going to say, we have to ask this question, <laughs> yeah, we but have you pretty to. much no. just answered it. We don't so have well. to. We want to. Kind of the premise of the show <laughs> is how are you using money to live beyond the dollar? I'm using money beyond the dollar to take care of myself and to align with my values and to also support things that I care for and want to endorse others. I think that's another great way to use money kind of beyond the dollar is supporting other people, whether that's an artist you love, whether that's a friend in need, whether that's a community project, you know, using money to kind of quote invest in yourself and your community and also your health. Thank you so much, Melanie. So where can everyone find you and read those awesome letters and your blogs? Yeah, people can find me at DearDebt.com. I'm on Twitter at DearDebtBlog, on Instagram at DearDebt. People can find my book on Amazon, also called Dear Debt. And you can also email me at DearDebt at gmail.com if you have any questions. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Melanie. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Dollar. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Also, if you feel like putting your money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, then download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters most to you in life, be able to name your most important values, and start thinking about how to only put your money toward those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to www.beyondthedollar.co. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar.